of old, you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him, so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. Those are verses 19 to 21 of Psalm 89, verses 19 to 52 of which are the psalm appointed for today, June the 20th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along. We're continuing a look at the book of Numbers today. We're in the 16th chapter, the first 19 verses, continuing also in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19, verses 13 to 22, and in Paul's letter to the Romans, uh, chapter 3, verses 21 to 31. So a little bit of uh, quick backstory to get to where we are. So remember last week where we left off in the readings from Numbers was when the people uh, refused to go into the land. They believed the the uh, story of the spies, and that um, kept them from having the courage or the faith, really, to enter the land. So they God pronounced a sentence against them that none of them would survive. And along the way, then the next thing that happens is is that the uh, the, the spies, the, the bad spies, not Caleb and Joshua, but the other ten, are uh, killed by plague. And then the people are so heartbroken over God's judgment on them that they decide to go up uh, against the Amalekites and the Canaanites. And Moses said, no, don't do it. God's not with you. You decided you didn't want to follow him and go with him, and he's not going up with you. And so... The people went anyway and were routed by their opponents. And then the next chapter has to do with various laws that are put into place. So now here we come to Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, the sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation, chosen from the assembly, well-known men. I mean, this is not a bunch of uh, nobody rabble that is coming forward. These people, they're all identified as children of Israel. They're not part of the era of Rav, the mixed multitude that came with them out of Israel. No, these people are all Israelites. They're all part of the family. And so they, they come before Moses. There's 250 of them. They're, they're not just random people either. What we see is they were chosen from the assembly, and they were well-known men. And they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, You've gone too far. For all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? I mean, I think we've done this once before, right? Didn't we do this with Moses and or Aaron and Miriam challenging Moses's authority and leadership? Well, now what's happening is is, is they're coming against um, Moses and Aaron here in this same way, and they're they're doing it supposedly on some sort of theological ground, right? We're all holy. That that's exactly what the Lord said. That that all of my people are holy, and so that's exactly what. What Korah, uh, the leader of this rebellion, that, that's exactly what he's saying, is we're all holy, so, so why are you anybody different? Man, is this a familiar kind of a thing? Um, it, it, there's always a challenge to leadership in the church, it seems. Um, there's always this idea of um, you're more special. Why do you think you're more special than me? And, and, and it's not a matter of being special. It's a duty and a responsibility that's laid on the leaders of the congregation. And, and, it, and it, they should be chosen wisely, and they should be chosen after much prayer and listening to the Holy Spirit. And here, I mean, how, how many times 
do we have to see Moses's authority um, over the people and his chosenness by God? They chose themselves here. God chose Moses and Aaron. And so we, we see this chosenness of Moses, and, and, and they're afraid to go up on the mountain. So they, so they say, no, 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 Moses, you go on up there too. And then they say, we don't know where this Moses went after he didn't come down when they expect him to. And, and so they choose something else. But what do they choose? They choose to make gods to replace Moses. So there's this bizarre idea here now after the disappointment. And I think that has a lot to do with it, the disappointment of, of their failure to have the faith to enter the land and follow the Lord into the land. Now... They've been told, you're not going to survive this experience, and so now there's a rebellion. It makes sense that there there would be, because you failed, Moses, at some level. You failed as a leader when it was really not Moses. It was a failure of the people to do this. But then they want to know here now, hey, you know, we're going to, if this is the way it's going to be, then we want to come and challenge your leadership. Um, when Moses heard it, he fell on his face, and he said to Korah and all his company, in the morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy, and will bring him near to him. So he's he's saying that that the Lord's going to choose the one whom he chooses. He will bring near to him. Do this. Take censers, Korah, and all his company. Put fire in them and put incense on them before the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the holy one. You have gone too far, sons of Levi. So it was the original complaint by Korah is you have gone too far. And so Moses' response is you've gone too far. You've gone too far. You're raising yourselves up as leaders when you weren't raised up by the Lord. <clears throat> and then Moses said to Korah, now let me, d- quick digression on this. So Korah is from the line of, uh, he was the grandson of Kohath, K-O-H-A-T-H. That's what we're told in the first verse of this reading. Well, if you go back and look in Numbers 4, what you'll find is this Kohath or Kohath. And, and what, you'd, what you'll see is, is that, that that line, that tribe, is pulled out even from Levi and separated apart, and they're given a specific role. And, and it's a really important role, and it's a really dangerous role, it, because what they do is when they strike the camp, when it's time to move, the, the priests, Aaron and his sons, go into the holy place and the holy of holies, and they, they take the, the curtain that separates the holy place from the most holy place. They take that curtain and lay it over the ark, and then they put some leather stuff over that. And then they, it, with, with all these things, it's this blue um, material. And so then they're gonna they're gonna cover up all the like the the incense altar and the table of showbread and the uh, the candelabra and all that. They're gonna cover all of that in the same way. And while they're doing that, the sons of Kohath are to have their backs turned. They're not to watch any of this go on as the holiest things are covered over in a way that they can now be transported. And it's this tribe who's chosen to transport the holy things. So constantly, they're as close to contacting those as anybody else can ever be. And so they make it so that it's now transportable in a way that's safe for the people because the holy things are covered. They're not touching any of those holy things. They're touching the covers, but but they are in danger because this stuff is so holy. So that's who Korah is. So he is the next step, even among the Levites, he's the next step closer to Aaron. 
And so that's who's, who, who's bringing this charge. And Moses said to Korah, here now, you sons of Levi, it's too, is it too small a thing for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister to them, and that he has brought you near him and all your brothers, the sons of Levi, with you? And you would seek the priesthood also? Therefore, it's against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. What's Aaron that you grumble against him? God chose him, and he chose you. He chose Aaron for this job and you for that job. But now you're trying to exalt yourself. I didn't exalt myself like you accused me of, that we've exalted ourselves. No, God chose us and exalted us. We didn't do that. You're trying to do exactly what you're accusing us of. And then Moses sent to Dathan and Abiram, the other two, two people there, and they said, we will not come up. So Korah will come up, but not Dathan and Abiram. I mean, they're, they're snubbing Moses and, and saying, no, 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 you don't have any authority over us. We won't come up. Is it a small thing that you've brought us out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness that you must also make yourself a prince over us? So what they're accusing him of is, is that he's the one who brought him out of Egypt which they say is a land flowing with milk and honey. Well, that's some revisionist history right there. These were slaves prior to this. Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey. You brought us out of one, but you didn't bring us into one. It's was your fault. We haven't gone into the land, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards, which is what you promised us, essentially. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We won't come up. And Moses was very angry. And said to the Lord, do not respect their offering. I've not taken one donkey from them, and I've not harmed one of them. I haven't done anything to these people. Why would they treat me this way? And Moses said to Korah, be present, you and all your company, before the Lord, you and they and Aaron, tomorrow. And let every one of you take his censer and put incense on it, and every one of you bring before the Lord his censer, 250 censers, you also and Aaron, each his censer. So every man took his censer and put fire in them and laid incense on them and stood at the entrance of the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. And then Korah assembled all the congregation against them at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. I mean, you can understand the disappointment, the disappointment of of having been in the wilderness, had only the manna, and then have God get angry with them when they asked for something other than manna. And then we're not even going to be allowed to enter the land. So we left Egypt, but we're not even going to be allowed to enter the land. And they're blaming Moses for that. And now they want to want to take him and Aaron down as leaders. They, they believe, they've come to believe at least, now after all the things, the signs that God gave them that Moses was indeed the leader, now they're coming against him and saying, you exalted yourself. And, and, and what are they trying to do? They're trying to exalt themselves. And Moses says, you've gone too far. No, 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 no. You, you've really stepped in at this time. In the gospel children were brought to Jesus that he might lay his hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked the people. Don't bring those kids in here. You know, <laughs> I've seen that in church. Um, <laughs> but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and don't hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid hands on them and went away. And he's told them this again and again, right? You've got to become like little children if you want to inherit the kingdom of God. And, and it's interesting that in, in Matthew's gospel, he links that little vignette with this next story that's so familiar to all of us. And Matthew just says, a man came up to him and said, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Other places, we're told that this was a rich young ruler who came and asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Here, Matthew has it a little differently. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? What, what will get me in? 
What's the thing that'll get me in? And, and he said to him, Jesus did, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who's good. If you would enter life, enter life, keep the commandments. So he's pointing again and saying, you're calling me good, but there's only one who is good. Because Jesus has not yet finished this race. And, and so he, he can't properly be called good until he receives the crown. Until then, he has taken on flesh and become like us, so that we might become eternally like him. And so right now, he is not receiving good, because there's still the possibility that he'll fail. We know he doesn't, but that's what what he's saying here. He said, and this is where Paul will talk about the divine condescension, where Jesus didn't, uh, he laid aside equality with God as not something to be grasped. So here in the flesh, he's not claiming that in the same way because he's running a different race he said he the man said to him which ones of the commandment and jesus said you shall not murder you shall not commit adultery you shall not steal don't bear false witness honor your father and mother and you shall love your neighbor as yourself i mean loving your neighbor as yourself would be the summary of all those commandments but what he doesn't mention is loving God. He doesn't mention the, the duties and responsibilities that are laid on the people bef- about their relationship to God. So he's telling them how to, how to handle it on an, on an earthly level, but he, but he doesn't call him to that other thing because those aren't things you do. They're things you don't do. You don't make images. You don't have any other gods before him and all that. And so he's not, he, he's, he's setting that aside, and the young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? So I've done my duty towards other people. And Jesus said to him, if you'd be perfect, it's a, that, that's, the, that's the only honest standard God has, perfection. If you'd be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. He gave him an opportunity to become one of his disciples, and he did it on the same terms that he did every disciple that he had, and everyone who wanted to be his disciple, is lay everything else down, lay everything aside. The disciples, Matthew had to leave his seat at custom, the fishermen had to leave their nets, and the standard's no different for you. If you want this, then you're going to have to come and follow me, because in the following of me, you're going to learn more about what real righteousness is and what real holiness is and what more about the kingdom of God is. But the young man heard this, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Sounds like they had him. He wasn't able to do that. Jesus laid aside equality with God. He laid aside heaven for us. He laid aside that unbroken relationship with the Father in order to come here and be part of us. He laid his inheritance aside for a season in order to come and rescue us and allow us to share in his inheritance. And this guy, though, has an inheritance already, and he's not willing to lay it aside. Jesus is doing the very thing here he tells this man to do. He's doing it in real time in order that it could be shared by all. And so he he knew the glory that laid before him. And so he did that willingly for our sake. This young man, for his own sake, is not willing to lay aside his inheritance. He does not yet see the value of the kingdom of God as surpassing what he has, the stuff of earth, the stuff that, well, isn't going to last and won't do him any good 
in eternity. In the passage to Romans today, Paul is arguing that he's already argued that that nobody has a right to the kingdom of God because nobody has met the standard of God, which is perfection, holiness, true righteousness. He says, now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. I mean, he, he says, he says, no, there's a witness of creation to the righteousness of God that things work a certain way. He said that there's a righteousness that's manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. And he's already argued that. Is there any benefit to being a Jew? Yeah, you, you have access to, and, and the div, divine oracles of God have been revealed to the Jews in a way they were not revealed to the Gentiles. So Paul's saying that the Old Testament is really important, but there's certain things that, that need to be dealt with, and that is how do you lay hold of the promises is it through circumcision? Is it through keeping of the law? Is it through a, a, a combination of those two things? Or is there something else? Is there some other way? So he says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And he says that is, that is born witness to in the law and the prophets. And, and it's true. There, there's a righteousness of God through faith for all who believe like the people who wouldn't enter the land because they lacked the faith to believe that God was able to get them into and conquer that land. And so you possess it by faith. Abraham possessed all things by faith, not because he had them in his hand, but because he believed God. He says, for there's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul flattened everything. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Those those in the Old Covenant and those in the New Covenant, Jew and Gentile, all are alike. What they have in common is a need of a Savior because they can't get there on their own. They can't get there on their own merits because they don't have any because they have failure. If there's a failure, you can't get there. He said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. So his righteousness is imputed to us whom God put forward as a propitiation, that's the, 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 the sacrifice for sin that propitiates God's wrath. In other words, what it does is, is, is that God sees that and his wrath is stopped. And that's what the, why you mur, uh, slaughtered the animals and threw the blood on the Ark of the Covenant once a year was propitiation for sin. As long as you did that right, then the sins of the people would be overlooked and forgiven by God. He's as by his propitiation, by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. And, and that word, passed over, do you hear that? Passover? He had passed over their former sins. And then, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who had faith in Jesus. So he had passed over the former sins because they had kept the rituals. But now, at the present time, he, he can be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So, so he provides the propitiation that allows him to be just and justifier at the same time. Then what becomes of our boasting? Well, it's excluded. I don't have anything. Paul's going to say in multiple places, I, I have filthy rags in comparison to Jesus. He said, but what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. No. So the answer to which good work, 
must I do to have eternal life? It's have faith in the one who is and proves himself all the way to the end to be good and makes propitiation for our sins. That's the law of faith. The law of faith is to say, I don't bring anything to the table. Jesus brings it all, and I believe that his sacrifice was acceptable to God because of the resurrection. And because of that, I have faith and I have confidence when I come before the Lord. He says, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, Gentiles also, since God is one, the central tenet of Judaism in the Shema. Behold, the Lord our God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Because the law, as applied to us, is faith. We, we acknowledge Jesus' faithfulness under the law. We acknowledge that he kept it perfectly without blemish or spot and then presented himself before the throne and was handed the crown, but handed also the scrolls of judgment because he's the only one on in heaven and on earth or under the earth who was worthy. And we agree with heaven when we say that. And, and therefore, we don't exalt ourselves. We abase ourselves. We recognize who we are and whose we are. And then we can begin to serve one another as Jesus has commanded. 